0: Well, I, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things that I enjoy uh, taking a look at and sometimes getting a good laugh from are political cartoons. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, creativity, uh, a lot of winsomeness to pack so much into just one or two little frames, uh, and, I, and I recently came across one that, uh, that really grabbed my attention. Uh, it, it didn't make me laugh. Uh, But what it did was it showed two American flags. And and the first of those flags looked uh, just like the one that's been flying in our country for many years. And the caption underneath read, The United States of America. And and the second flag uh, was pretty much the same, except for one significant difference. And that difference being that the stars were separated. They were divided in half, split down the middle, uh, 25 on the right and 25 on the left. And the caption said, the divided states of America. And you know, we're in a country right now where there is a lot of turmoil, conflict, Tension, uh, political polarization, a country divided in many ways. Well, what about the church? What about the church in America? Are we united or divided? Well, again, as has been mentioned already, today is Communion Sunday uh, for us, the first Sunday of the month. Uh, where we hold together word and sacrament and we come together at a a table-focused service. And this morning as we prepare to come to the table, uh, we're going to consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, We'll be looking at verses uh, 14 to 17, uh, with verse 17 being our key verse. And I want to remind you that Paul was writing into a divisive culture. Into a divisive culture where even those in the church were struggling. And Paul writes in part to address the unity of the church in the face of disunity in the culture. And so that's going to be our focus this morning as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 17 before we hear God's word, uh, let's come before Him in prayer. Well, Almighty God, you who are the creator and the sustainer of all things, you who are the one true King, uh, we come this morning and we thank you once again for your word. And we come as those who want to hear and to understand is those who want to see and believe. And yet at the same time, we we realize that we often struggle to do so, that we're often captured by other things that blind us. And so we ask now, we ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would open your word to us, and us to your word, that we might feed by faith on the living word, the living bread, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 14. Hear the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And this is God's word. Well, one bread, one body, Uh, the unity of Christ's church, the united body of Christ. So again, that's what we're going to talk about. And as we consider that reality, uh, let's first talk about disunity. Uh, We'll talk about disunity, and then we'll talk about unity. So first, disunity. Uh, Because you, you see, the Corinthian church, they were struggling uh, with disunity, uh, there was a problem. Uh, the Corinthian church was was divided. They had divisions within. There were factions, and Paul states this very clearly in the next chapter, saying, "When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it, for there are factions among you." Well, what about the church today? What about the church in America? Because culturally, there is so much division right now. And is it affecting the church? Well, according to the Pew Research Center, Americans are becoming more and more politically polarized. Uh, Every year, the gap between Republicans and Democrats grows wider. Uh, In fact, the average Republican is now much more conservative than 25 years ago and the average Democrat much more liberal. And one political commentator states this, Day by day, the other side becomes more and more incomprehensible, leaving many, both conservatives and liberals, feeling that their counterparts are foolish, morally repugnant, and disconnected from reality. What's happened is that our self-constructed filters have siloed us into echo chambers. Echo chambers where our views appear self-evidently true, and we can only conclude that those who disagree with us are stupid, evil, or both. And according to a survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, most Americans today would rather see their children marry someone of a different religion than someone of a different political party. Well, another political and cultural commentator has this to say. There's a more troubling element under the surface. When a sizable segment of the population says that political affiliation matters more than religious identity... We're witnessing something greater than mere polarization. We're witnessing the transmutation of politics into religion. For many Americans, it's not that politics supersedes religion, but rather that politics has become their religion. It's become an idol. And the Bible is clear we are not to even flirt with idols. Here, in our passage, verse 14 of chapter 10, exhorts us, flee, run, run from idolatry. Well, anything, anything whatsoever that captures us with such passion, that it competes with the kingdom of God and our hearts and our minds, anything that does that must be dethroned. And it must be put in its proper place under the lordship of King Jesus. And that includes politics. Now, I want to be clear. Because I'm not saying that politics is bad. That government is very helpful. It's ordained by God. But what I am saying, or, or rather what I'm asking, is this. Does politics have a firm grip on your heart? Does it dominate your thought life? Uh, Have your political views become the lens through which you see everything else? Have you married your Christian faith to your political beliefs? In the words of Pastor Scott Sauls, if I can find nothing to critique about the political party that I support, and nothing to affirm about the opposing political party, then it's probably the case that I'm, conf- I'm conflating my partisan politics with my Christianity. Now, it's not that we need to embrace political passivity. Uh, or no longer engage in the political process. Again, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that our fundamental allegiance must be to another king. The king of kings and lord of lords. As Christians, our allegiance, it must transcend any party, any ideology or a nationality, as Christians, our fundamental allegiance is to King Jesus. And nothing, nothing should compete with or be confused with that primary allegiance. And then it's under that allegiance that we are freed. That we are freed under the lordship of Christ the King to not engage in politics out of fear, or hate, but rather to engage out of love, out of love for God and out of love for neighbor. Well, several years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to meet the leadership team at a a new church down in North Carolina. In the the leadership team of about, I think it was seven or eight people, uh, they were in the process of shaping the vision and values that were going to direct uh, their new church in the coming years and, and I remember as, as I met e- each of them two of those team members immediately stood out to me. So there was, there was a man who was a corporate lawyer for a, a big business housing developer and there was a, a woman who was an environmental activist and leader for the protection of forested areas in North Carolina and they first encountered each other at a county board meeting where they were arguing on opposite sides of the table, a pretty fierce argument from what I understand. And then, a few few weeks later, they ran into each other at the same church. Talk about awkward! Well, as, as I heard that little bit of the story, I was intrigued, and so I, I asked him, I said, well, well, well tell me, how, how does this work? Tell me about your relationship. Of course, they began by laughing, and they said, well, it's probably pretty clear that a lot of our views on, uh, on political policy, on public policy, that, that they differ quite a bit, and they confessed that when they first ran into each other at the same church that neither was thrilled that the other was there. And hoped that they weren't going to be after the next Sunday. But they kept showing up. And they weren't thrilled. That is until they got to know each other. Until they got to see that each, that the other, was first and foremost a follower of Jesus. Which meant that they were both part of one body. The body of Christ. And so despite their differences, they were united in Christ. And though challenging at times, they said that their differences, and they're now leaning in to that which united them, they could talk through and actually listen to each other in a way that helped keep them and their leadership team with a focus on Jesus because they realized how desperately they needed Him. And so they were working together to worship God and to serve their local community. And what was amazing was to hear the stories about people in the community that took notice. They took notice at what had brought these two together and what held them together. Well, again, here in, in 1 Corinthians, now Paul is addressing the unity of the church in the face of disunity and the culture. And so let's shift gears. Let's now talk about unity. And So second, unity. And again, Paul says in our passage, verse 17, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We all partake of the one bread. Now, I, I'm sure you already know uh, that one of the words we use to describe the Lord's Supper is communion. We, we often use them interchangeably. But do you know where the word comes from? Because it comes from here. It comes from our passage, uh, verse 16, where it describes the cup as a participation in the blood of Christ and then describes the bread as a participation... In the body of Christ. And this word participation, it's translated from a Greek word that you might have heard before. It's translated from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship or communion. And the word, that word connotes the idea that the supper is, is in fact an act of communion. An act of communion or participation with Christ and with one another. It's communing, communing together with the Lord. And so it's a relational act. And you know, think about it. Meals are often like that, aren't they? You, you get an invitation to dinner. It's not just an invitation to food. No, it, it's an invitation to come together. It's an invitation to more than food, but rather to, it's one to fellowship and to friendship. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus gave us this table is because that's what happens here in part at the Lord's Supper. It's an invitation to fellowship, to friendship with King Jesus and also with all those under the King. And you know, I, I think that we often miss reflecting on, on this aspect of the Supper, uh, being an act of communion with one another. Uh, recently, I, I was reading a British pastor uh, Tim Chester uh, a wonderful a book uh, that he has entitled Truth We Can Touch. Truth We Can Touch, it, it's about the sacraments. And he, and he referred to the Lord's Supper, he referred to it as a community-forming act. A community-forming act, saying that the supper itself actually creates community in a way. It builds, it develops. And so take a look again at our key verse for a moment. Uh, verse 17 And as I read it, I want you to hear those words and I want you to think about the deep reality that's expressed both in these words, these words of God, and also expressed at this table that is before the people of God this morning. So verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Why? Why are we one body? Well, we just read it because we all share in the one bread, the living bread, Jesus. No matter how diverse a group of people, we who are many, uh, no matter how diverse with different uh, priorities, personalities, political views, we share a common life, life in Christ. And so you see that there's an objective level to this. At an objective level, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that creates Christian community. And Paul says elsewhere in in Ephesians, he says that Christ loved the church and loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her on the cross and, and he goes on to explain that the cross has broken down what? It has broken down the dividing walls of hostility between very different people, even those who'd once been enemies. Okay, so that's an, an, an objective level. There's also a subjective level. At a subjective level, we can experience, as the people of God, we can experience the very real, very deep reality of being united in Christ together. You see, when we we come to the table, uh, we can know a deeper sense of Christian community in part because when we come, we are reminded that it's all of grace, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so our our senses of superiority, self-righteousness, they they, they just begin to dissolve. Those divisions begin to dissolve as we come together, eating of the same bread from the same bread, Jesus. And as we come with our focus on the cross, the life-giving work from the cross, And knowing that His Spirit is present and powerfully at work in us and among us. You see, at this table, we receive grace. Yes, we receive grace individually. But more than that, we also receive it communally. So when we come to the table, you know, a lot of times we... We close our eyes, and, that, and that's fine. But from time to time, we should actually open our eyes and look around. Maybe even be amazed. Because when we look around at, at the people that we are gathered with, what we see are we see fellow sinners and sufferers who are saved by grace, just like us, and who are also fellow saints sustained by the very same grace, just like us. And further, we come to the table as beloved children, as beloved children of God, in whom he takes great delight. And what does that mean? Well, that means that we come together as brothers and sisters. And you know the saying, the family that eats together stays together. And that's what Jesus wants for his family. Well, now I want us to shift our focus to the table. And as we prepare to eat together, as we prepare to eat as fellow saints, as Brothers and sisters in Christ, as beloved children of God, remember that the Lord's Supper is a gift. It's a gift to us. It's Jesus' gift to his church. To those who have looked to him, trusted in him for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. And so if that describes you and you are a part of a church that proclaims this gospel, then this meal is for you. And one last thing. One last thing as we prepare to come and be fed at this table. As we prepare to be fed by Him, know that we come as those united in Him. And thus, and thus in this act of communion, we are not only receiving something But we are making a statement. We are making a statement together because together we declare the most important political statement that anyone could ever make and that our world so desperately needs to hear. Jesus Christ is King. Amen. Amen.